Hello and welcome to the Raising the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Association of Grades In Students. My name is Neve, and in this new series, A Student's Guide, each episode will explore a different topic associated with becoming a barrister from a student's perspective. Today, I have Charlotte Ward as a guest. Charlotte is due to start pupillage this year, and although she obtained pupillage first time round, she actually graduated from her undergraduate degree back in 2015 and had been working in banking for five years before transitioning to the law and the bar. Hello, Charlotte. Hi, Neve. Firstly, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and speaking to me today. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you as a guest, not just because of your experience, but I think you have such a fascinating journey to the bar. And apologies for using that cliche of journey to the bar, but I think it is true. And I think it is a misconception that... To be a barrister, you'll have always known this was the career for you, but actually that wasn't the case for you. So can you tell us a little bit about your background academically maybe to start with? Sure. So I guess I should say that I had always thought about becoming a barrister, but it wasn't something that I pursued seriously at university for a variety of reasons. Mm. And we can get into that, I guess, later in this podcast. Yeah. Um, but in terms of university, I studied history, I went to Oxford, and I did that because I really loved my subject. I was always quite academic at school, and I picked the subject that I really loved the most. And I had a fantastic three years studying it. I mean, there's not much more to say than that. There was no grand design. I just pursued what I was passionate about. Okay, so you'd almost encourage people who are in there a-level studies at the minute to just focus on what they know and what they love rather than rushing to think about what career they might be going down would you say? Definitely I think as well at 18 it's really hard to know yourself well enough to know what career you might be suited to. I agree yeah and then when you were at university and you were studying history at what point did you start to think about a career? That's a good question. Um, at what point did I think beyond the essay that was due and my exactly. social arrangements for the week? Exactly. But uh, it's also worth pointing out that that is what university is for as well. You know, getting those assignments in, making friends, joining the societies. But there is that underlying notion of getting a job at the end of it. When did you start to think about that? I think being incredibly candid here, I had a few friends that were interested in finance because the finance societies had the best events. <laughs> so I got involved um, with the Oxford Finance Society who just did the best parties. And in the process, I met um, a couple of graduates from university, particularly women who encouraged me to think seriously about a career in finance, particularly because they were focused on diversity in finance and also getting in more humanities students. They wanted diversity of oh. thought as well. So I, I got involved with one of the um, women's outreach programs run by a bulge bracket bank. And it was a series of events that took place in Oxford and in London. And through that started applying for internships and sort of got on the finance track, um, admittedly with not very much success initially in my second year. I think in my third year, I did an internship in a boutique investment bank in London where I was offered a job and I actually turned it down to pursue a master's because I didn't feel quite done with academia yet. And I guess that also goes to stress that whilst I was, you know, had one eye on potential career paths, I also genuinely was very passionate about my subject and I was quite academic. So I did the master's for another year. And while I was on my master's year, I lined up my next job 
in finance. So I guess it's fair to say I was always sort of thinking about it, but I was juggling different options. I think that's really interesting to know that even though you were looking at the career path, internships, and even job offers, that actually you can change your mind and you can jump back into academia if you decide that actually something's better suited to you. And that's really encouraging to know. But looking at how you've gone from a history undergraduate then into finance, where did that come from? You mentioned speaking to women in finance and they encouraged you into that. Sure. So I think it's quite common, particularly Oxford and Cambridge, where people tend to do humanities degrees and then go into all different professions because the strength of your academic qualification speaks for itself. So that seemed quite common. I actually really fell into finance by accident. So I mentioned that I'd gone to some of these outreach events. I'd started learning about finance. I did all the um, university recruitment events. But I also did an internship in Geneva, Switzerland with my um, wow. employer where I was I was at for five years, three of which were in Switzerland. But I started with a summer internship that I'd applied to to be in London. I still to this day do not know how it ended up being in Switzerland, <laughs> but I'm very grateful that it did. And I did an eight week or 10 week summer internship. Um, I guess that must have been between my undergraduate degree and my master's degree. And I really loved it. I kind of fell in love with this world. It was incredibly exciting and fast paced. Um, the international scene in Geneva was something completely new to me. I've, you know, British born, always lived my life in the UK, don't have family really elsewhere. And it was a really fantastic summer. I think Geneva in the summer, I would commend to you all. <laughs> um, doesn't necessarily get a very fair reputation, but it is wonderful. And I worked with a really interesting group of people who really persuaded me to take the job offer seriously. So I then went back to the UK, I did my master's. And then the following summer, July 2016, I flew out to join the graduate program in Geneva. And really, I had a very different reception from the Europeans that I was working with, where I think in Europe, sometimes it's the degree that has more of the academic standing rather than the university you went to. And history wasn't considered as rigorous as, say, business or economics or law. So people were very confused by me <laughs> in the office and why I ended up in finance in a way that I don't think is quite the same in London. And then it was, to be honest, it was quite difficult to come up to speed with everything. I did the CFA level one exams in my first year, which was incredibly difficult. Right. Um, and I think at that point, to be honest, I'd started to question if I really was in this field for the right reasons. Is that at just in your first year you started having those doubts? Honestly, I think yes. I At that point, everything was still so new and engaging and hard. And I think particularly if you're a driven person, and I'd like to consider that I am, mm. it's something that, you know, I was very keen to try and, you know, turn my hand to something new and impress people and work hard. And there was a time when that was really satisfying. And because all the financial concepts and analysis were so new to me, I didn't really know if it was for me or not. I just wanted to try. Right. And I did have some lovely colleagues, so I felt you know, happy in the workplace. But... Yeah, as the time went on, I started to question if it was really playing to my strengths and if I really did enjoy it. And that sort of led me to change the role I had within the bank. And I then moved back to London. So I think at that point, I was questioning if finance really was for me. 
but I wasn't ready to give up on it just yet. And the beauty of working for a really large international organization is that there are options that you can pursue. Mm. And I'd made a lot of effort to connect with people who worked in different areas of the bank, particularly um, in the Zurich office, who did a sort of different type of banking that was more corporate focused. I was in private wealth at the time. And as a result of building up connections with them, I was able to move across to that area of the bank, but it was going to be in London. I actually initially wanted to go to Zurich and then the job opportunity was in London. And I think at that point, my friends and family were very happy to get me back <laughs> from three years overseas. And I was quite excited um, to move back as well. So I, I did. I think at that point, I was pivoting within finance and thinking, OK, if this isn't quite working with my skill set, perhaps I can find another way of making this work. Moved into a different team, which I think definitely did play more to my strengths and it was a lot more intellectually rigorous in some ways. Um, it was a different job, but it was, I, I felt perhaps a better fit. You know, in Geneva, I was very lucky to work with a really diverse range of people from different backgrounds and from different ages, but I was in a minority of, of young people. And I think that's important to stress that there are so many different aspects to a career and it's not a linear pathway to finding the perfect fit for you. So you've had this experience of a job, earning money, being in Geneva as well, which is uh, amazing. At what point did you think, I'm going to look into the law? So not even transition, but actually when did you start to explore the law as a possible career? I think you're definitely right about careers not being linear. And it's sometimes difficult when you're at university because you're on the conveyor belt of GCSEs, A-levels, degree, yeah. masters. And actually reality is a lot more messy and more nuanced. Mm. And I think it's important at any stage you're at, even before we considering career to the bar, to acknowledge that. I agree. And not put pressure on yourself. Definitely. But in terms of thinking about the law, so I came back to London. I was in a slightly different team doing a role that I think was slightly better suited to me, but I was still having these sort of niggling Doubts of is this really for me? Am I really going to be a numbers person despite <laughs> doing arts and humanities subjects um, all throughout my sort of you know academic career? And I think I was I was on alert that I'm I was open to other opportunities. And I think really it was the pandemic that gave me the impetus to start to look for change. Okay. Particularly when all the excitement of living in London being in your mid-20s, having lots of fun social opportunities mm -hmm. and getting to explore like the benefits of this amazing city we live in have gone away and all you're doing is sitting in your pyjamas at your computer <laughs> screen working on like quite difficult things for 14-hour days. You start to think, is this really what my life is going to look like? Mm -hmm. And it gives you the space to really focus on what alternatives are out there. And when I'm, I was actually with my parents for most of the lockdown, the first lockdown, when I moved back to London, the area of London where I live, I was closest to my friends from university who happened to be barristers. Interesting. And that's when I started to realise that there are other careers out there and to take the bar route seriously. So I suppose what we didn't talk about earlier was that I had thought about becoming a barrister when I was at school. Okay. I did a mock trial when I was 17 at Manchester Crown Court, which I absolutely loved doing. I was always really interested in, you know, debating, modeling United Nations, public speaking. And 
I guess at university, I just didn't really take it seriously as an option, particularly because I didn't want to study for two or three years more. I wanted to do a master's in history. But after that, the idea of doing two years of legal studies was really unappealing. I also, to be frank, couldn't afford to do it in London. I would have had to go back to my parents, which I think at 22, when you have had a taste of freedom, is a um, difficult prospect to consider. But it's, it's again, it's another factor that comes into the decision of becoming a barrister. I love the fact that you touched on just one small experience that you probably didn't think anything of at the time, doing the mock trial actually has come full circle now, however many years later, and now you are um, well and truly on the journey to actually be standing up in court yourself. So that's really nice to hear that you can patch together all these small experiences over the years that have led to where you are now. And I think people should focus on those experiences, even non-legal experiences as well, the skills they pick up from there that can actually then help them and propel them into a career at the bar. Have you found that over the years, all of your different experiences and how that's helped you? Definitely. And if you are serious about this route, you actually have to engage with that and think, you know, across my life, all my different experiences, what do I have that maps onto being a barrister? Mm. And I think we were just starting to talk about, um, you know, how I decided on the law because it wasn't necessarily that straightforward. I knew that something wasn't quite working for me in my banking role. I was seeing my friends from university who were by that point, I guess, three or four years into tenancy, perhaps, mm. doing the barrister route and started to talk to them about it seriously. But I also started to do research into any other career that I'd thought about <laughs> at any point um, from probably A-levels onwards. And that included things like journalism, documentary, film, startups. And I, I did a lot of research. And I think the bar is such a huge commitment mm you need to be really certain that it's what you want to do. Mm. And I felt confident making the decision because I had researched so many different options. I reached out to, you know, my friends, friends of friends, networks, LinkedIn, everything to really explore every single avenue. And the more I started to learn about the bar, the more I became convinced that it might work for me. And that's also when, from speaking to people, I was able to think about the skills that I'd acquired across my career and how those were transferable. Right. So just touching on that, the research that you did, was that all self-led? Did Was it just a Google search and then that sort of snowballed into finding different experiences from there? I'd love to hear how you did find out about this career and how you eventually got onto the path. So I definitely do have to give credit to some of my close friends who are barristers. Okay, yeah. And it did start with them, particularly as... I started to think about it more seriously and talk to them about the realities of their job, the drawbacks too, because no profession is perfect. Um, not the focus of this mm. podcast, but there are <laughs> things you need to consider seriously that can be more challenging. Absolutely, and it's worth saying that as well. Um, so I talked to them about those things and started to sort of do research. To be honest, I started with my Facebook friends, not that anyone really uses Facebook, <laughs> but I reached out to every person I had ever come across from school or university that I knew was now a barrister. And I think it's one of the, it's a testament to this profession that people are generally 
very collegiate and very happy to help. And every single person was more than happy to pick up the phone and speak to me, particularly people who have busy practices, hadn't spoken to me since 2014. And even then <laughs> had probably only run into me in a handful of like parties at university, but were still really happy to give me their honest take on this career and why they love it so much. And that is in itself very persuasive. That's such a great thing to hear. But I think it also comes down to swallowing your pride a little bit and realizing that actually sending that first message, sending out those emails to anyone and everyone, and that actually people are so willing to help. But it does have to start with you. Definitely. This is a career path that you have to be a self-starter to do mm. by nature of it being, you know, a referral profession, you're self-employed, often not always, you can be an employed barrister, but if you're going for the self-employed bar, I think that's an important quality to have. And I do recognize I'm incredibly lucky that I had you know, really close friends mm. that sort of first planted the seed and then also, you know, an extended network of peers that I could reach out to. But I also think you really can message people on LinkedIn, I agree. get in touch with people from the inns of court. Um, I attended all the pupillage fairs. I think it was virtual when I did it, hopefully now in person. Yeah, now exactly. we're in happier times. And people are really, really willing to help you and offer you their time, a coffee, maybe even to sit in their chambers for an afternoon and see what they do. I was really blown away by how friendly and open it is as a profession and I think that is sometimes not understood well from the outside. Absolutely and I second that. Going back to you being sat at home during the pandemic, doing your research, reaching out to your Facebook friends about this career, how did you actually then make the jump into the career at the bar? Because of course it was a huge risk for you. Yes, I think the biggest hurdle for leaving a profession, particularly one where you have a degree of stability, both in terms of your routine, your lifestyle and finances, it is a big, scary risk to take. And the thing that I really had to get my head around was how I was going to make it work financially. Mm. I've been financially independent since I was 22. And that was something I was going to have to figure out if I was going to make this work. I think it started with the scholarships from Gray's Inn. Right. Um, I did some research on the different inns of court, looked into the scholarship program, and I think I'd started really seriously thinking about the career change and doing all this research from the beginning of 2021. And I think the scholarships opened in March of 2021, or right. at least the open days, and I submitted my application early May. So that period of time I'd been thinking about it. And at after I applied for the scholarship and was waiting to hear back, I started to really think about how I would make this work for me financially, how it would work with my savings, my career, how I would cost this out. Realistically, what I would do if I was unsuccessful in obtaining pupillage and then having a gap year to fill. I think you really need to be comfortable that you've thought through every possibility and gotten yourself comfortable with how you will you know, make ends meet during that time. Absolutely. Because obviously this is a very difficult thing to do as a student. And I guess that's more your experience, Nia. Yeah, absolutely. But if you're coming from a career, I think there are other considerations to factor into that. Notwithstanding also, you're going to be a student again and all your friends are working. Yeah. And that does have a tangible impact on your life that I think can be overlooked. So for me, I then received the scholarship news, the good news, in <laughs> June that I was going to receive funding to help me cover the GDL fees 
But more than that, I also think it was a testament to the fact that I could do this. Yeah. And if Grey's Inn thought that I was good enough to be a scholar, then I could be a barrister. So at that point, I started to take it very seriously and plan to hand my notice in in, I think it was August, I handed it in to wow. then start. Of my, 2021? Yes. And I started the GDL in September 21. So going back to how you then made that application in the March of 2021, after being in finance for five years, we've had guests on in the past who talk about all the mooting experience they gained at university and mini pupillages they'd done. Having been in a career in the city, earning money, working 14-hour days, how on earth did you piece together an application for this scholarship? without that sort of university-led experience? I think you have to be creative and you have to think about what it is that you do in your day-to-day life that maps onto being a barrister. And for me, there was a lot of advocacy in my old job. I, In the job I worked in in London, I was doing um, credit analysis and the team I was in would put together a business case for why we should lend money to certain companies, which inc- included a lot of financial analysis, but also qualitative analysis and then we would have to persuade our risk team to accept it so there was an awful lot of advocacy that would go on both written and oral that was actually the part of my job I liked the most and was one of the reasons why I really started to take the bar more seriously particularly upon learning more about the commercial bar and how I could leverage the financial knowledge I'd acquired and industry knowledge going forward into a career So, you know, that's one thing to look at. But there's also, you know, more soft skills you acquire from work that are really transferable. If you think about managing a difficult client, managing difficult relationships in the office, people talk about office politics, but, you know, this is real things that you have to navigate to get things done, particularly when different teams have different agendas and you're trying to pull together to work as one. All these skills require persuasion at some level, which is fundamentally what being a barrister is. And if you have a think about that, you can leverage that for the application. And then the other aspect I think that I drew on heavily in the application was that at university, you think about your intellectual ability in a purely academic way and the world of finance and work. I suppose you're applying that problem-solving skills to practical real-world issues. I think that's really encouraging to hear that you don't have to do the traditional route. You don't have to have the traditional experience to be successful. And that scholarship application process really is that first step for a lot of people, no matter what stage of life they're at. Do you have any advice for actually securing that first scholarship? Because it really is the first foot in the door. Do you have any advice for people applying, especially from a career changer perspective? I would definitely say think really critically about the skills that you've gained. How do those transfer onto the bar? You can gain a lot of knowledge about the bar from Chambers Student, the Inns of Court websites. Uh, I think there are books out there as well that you can get to sort of really understand what are the critical skills to the bar. I think Grayson also published the criteria that they're assessing for. Yeah, they do. And really think about where in your life can you draw examples from that demonstrate those skills. And those don't even have to be from work. I had one of my examples was about how I had negotiated um, getting a bathroom plumbing issue 
<laughs> fixed in my flat with my landlord. You know, you can really think creatively about every experience you've had. If you've ever had a part-time job, Absolutely. I had a part-time job when I was doing my GCSEs and A-levels, you learn skills from that. It's just really think about your life and where you are acquiring the skills that meet those criteria. Yeah, sports, anything where you're working in a team, there are so many opportunities out there to sort of draw from life experience and put that into an application. Definitely. I suppose one thing I would stress is that I was very fortunate coming from a strong academic background. And even though I wasn't focused on the bar, I had always been quite academic. And I'd also maintained contact with my tutors from Oxford, right. which I think really did assist in getting a reference and getting on that process. Mm. I think if you're a career changer who's not been in the world of academia for a while, I can see that potentially being an issue if you don't have a tutor that you can come back to for academic support. And it might be that you need to think more carefully about which of your professional referees can speak to your academic ability in your job. And I think a big difference that you might face coming to the bar from a career change that I didn't have to face was getting pupillage on the GDL. I think if you don't have the academic record or it's just been so long that it's not Mm. as relevant, you might need to spend the GDL year really tightening that and really focusing on getting the best grade you can to then launch you to the next stage. I do agree. And I think that's really helpful advice and almost a little bit of realism because, of course, there are many hurdles on this pathway. I do know I felt a little bit daunted by the task of getting appropriate references for those scholarship applications. But again, I would stress don't feel daunted. Do look at who in your life have you interacted with that really can speak to, as you said, your academic ability, but also then your professional or personal abilities as well because I do think you have two opportunities for references there don't let that be a hindrance to you but I like what you said about perhaps using the GDL year then to bolster your academics if you haven't been in education for a certain number of years so that's a really useful tip Turning now to that dreaded pupillage application process you said that you did apply during your GDL year introduce us to how you went about that. The GDL starts in September, the pupillage gateway opens well in the end of 2021 for you and then you applied in 2022 January. I approached this whole process with every ounce of energy and enthusiasm (laughs) and focus. I was frankly a bit of a heat-seeking missile (laughs) and I don't think I was very fun to be around socially. Um, I joke with one of my friends that we are rehabilitating our personalities from (laughs) I'm Becoming a Barrister, which is everything I did in 2021 to 2022. It was the best decision I have ever made. I would commend it to you all, but it's hard. It's really hard. You know, you will be up against people that have known they wanted to be a barrister for a long time, who've done all the mooting, all the mini pupillages, have glittering degrees from multiple institutions who've really been honing their CV for years. Mm. And if you are just starting on the GDL year, it really is a challenge to balance getting the mooting experience, doing the mini pupillages, attending all the chambers open days and the fields you're interested in. I attended every talk that was on that was, you know, relevant to commercial law, 
I went to the Supreme Court for an afternoon to watch a case being heard. I did a lot of minis. It was a lot of work. Mm. It is very intense and you have to be psychologically prepared for that. And (laughs) I don't say that to scare people. I think it's really important to be realistic. And if anything, even knowing it was going to be tough, I still think I underestimated how tough it would be. Right. Particularly when the GDL itself is a fairly intense course. I studied the GDL at City University and it really was like being thrown back into your GCSEs. You're doing seven subjects simultaneously. There's a lot of reading. And if you're out of the habit of working in a library and organizing your studies academically, then it's an adjustment. But, you know, if you've been working, you've also been managing, you know, important commitments and managing your diary. So it's not insurmountable by any stretch, but it's just a change of pace Mm. and it's getting your head back into the way of thinking about academic things. And that in and of itself is difficult. So doing the pupillage round on top of that is something you have to be prepared for. Yeah. I was thinking about this podcast session coming (laughs) up, Neve, and if I would have done it differently, would I have not applied in the GDL year? Because I do think if I was applying again this year, my credentials would have been stronger. I would have had a lot more confidence applying, having been looking at legal problems for a lot longer. Yeah, and what you learn on the bar course as well. Definitely the advocacy you learn on the bar course or at events at the inns. So I think there is definitely some merit in spending the GDL year building up your CV to get prepared for the pupillage applications. But equally, I wonder if actually it is worth putting some applications in on the GDL year so that you can really see where the gaps are in your application, how the process works, get an understanding of what the kind of task is ahead of you. And I'm on balance, I think I probably do fall on the side of you might as well apply on the GDL year. Yeah. You know, you can always apply again. I don't think many chambers will disregard your application, particularly if you've made material improvements over the bar course year. So I think that's, again, something to consider. And if your career changing, because the gateway operates 18 months in advance, you do need to think about what that means for you practically in terms of the finances to cover yourself for an extra year, what potential work you could line up to cover that year in between. And, you know, there are all sorts of options available, even to students as well. But it might be that you can maintain good relations with your old employer and go back and do a year, you know, freelancing if you wanted to. There are there are all sorts of ways to think about it. I think what I've learned from what you've just spoken about, Charlotte, is that how many different ways there are to go about it and that actually there is no right way. You don't necessarily have to come from a career, go straight into obtaining a scholarship into the GDL, into pupillage like you have, but also you can take your time. Of course, there are financial implications to think about as well, your living arrangements to think about. There are a lot of different factors that come into changing career. Jumping back to what you mentioned about having to adjust to becoming a student again, you've got friends who are four or five years into earning money. How did you find that? And were you sure that you would be happy doing that after you know, working in finance in Geneva, in London, having these experiences? It's not always easy, but I think you have to see it as an investment in yourself. And for me, I think I reached a point in my career where I knew that I was unhappy and I knew that any sort of career path I could take from finance into a kind of relevant field or a standard exit route 
was going to still leave me with that fundamental lack of satisfaction. And the what if. And the what if. So any career jump, whether it was to the bar or to journalism or another field, was going to involve a level of investment and a level of sacrifice. And I suppose you have to just see it as this is investment now in your future happiness and your future career. And, you know, we're all going to live, hopefully, quite a long time. And you work for a, a really large part of that time. It really does take up an enormous part of your life. And being unhappy at work is not worth it just for, you know, living for the weekend. I think something I realized in Geneva was that you can do that for so long. And I really did live for the weekend. I had great <laughs> weekends. Um, I did a lot of skiing. Oh, wow. It was great. But it doesn't really give you happiness. And not to make this, you know, very philosophical. But I think with the pandemic, people did think about their lives in a slightly deeper way and consider what it is that you want from your life. And for me... I knew I really wanted this and it made it a lot easier to make the more difficult social decisions to not go to that dinner or, you know, not go to that theatre show and, and, you know, live within your student means. Yeah, and that's probably what drove you in that year of when you did then apply for scholarships and pupillage. It's probably those years of questioning, perhaps you weren't as happy in your old career. So, I think that's so key, talking about how important it is to find the right career for you. And of course, a lot of people have the luxury of using their undergraduate degree and the career services that universities have, but that it also is possible coming at it from a career changer. Thankfully, the Inns of Court have resources, they have events and talks where you can learn about the bar, different areas of law, of course. I mean, how did you find your practice area all within this quite finite space of time from changing career? I think as I was researching becoming a barrister, one of the things that really convinced me to make the leap was that I didn't really understand about the commercial bar and how I could leverage my knowledge and skills I'd acquired from finance. But also I, I was fundamentally interested mm. in finance. I wouldn't have pursued it for five years if I really hated every second of it. And I hope I haven't given that impression from this <laughs> podcast because some of it was great. <laughs> but you can leverage that interest that you have into a legal field. And I would say to anyone, whether you've worked perhaps in medicine, there's medical negligence, there are all sorts of transferable crossover areas where you can bring your industry knowledge into a career at the bar. Absolutely. Did you find that was an advantage for you in a sense that you could talk about your practical real life experience in interviews? Definitely. Um, it's something I definitely put forward in my applications because I think I was able to approach some of the legal problems with a practical commercial angle as to how this would work in the real world. And being able to talk about the commercial or practical angles to a legal problem definitely gives you something perhaps different to say in an interview and an opportunity to um, demonstrate the different strengths you have in your arsenal and why that makes you a good candidate. So absolutely, I think you should bring that with you to the bar. But in terms of my career path, I think knowing that there was a way of doing the bar route that also leveraged what I had learned made it feel more manageable and not like I was pivoting in a completely different direction. I think we'd be having a very different conversation if I decided to go to the criminal bar, for example, where, you know, the work experience you have to acquire, the interests you have need to be more aligned. So, 
if you're thinking about this, you should also really be doing the research as to which areas as well. I, I don't think it's as simple as saying, I want to be a barrister. I think people do, when coming from a career change, think I want to be a criminal barrister or a commercial barrister or a public law barrister. I think that's really helpful advice for anyone that is thinking about a career at the bar. It gives both sides of the story as well that you do have to put in the time to research, but also that it is possible to use those skills you already have. You're not starting from a fresh slate. So from your success, is there anything that you have learned over the last few years now that you do have pupillage this year that you can tell us about? I think prepare yourself for rejection. Right. I face a lot of rejection along the way and it's something people told me a lot, but it's very true. It needs to be said again. You just need one. You just need one pupillage. You just need to get in the door somewhere. And it's important to bear that in mind because there's an element of the pupillage process that is a numbers game. There are different strategies you can take to the process, but ultimately try and bear in mind that it's going to be a difficult road. There's a lot you have to do. You will face a lot of setbacks, but success is that very narrow goal of just achieving the one. And remember, of course, big caveat that pupillage is only the start and you also have to work very hard and <laughs> You've got all that tendency and that is all to come. But of course, the bottleneck, I think, is getting a pupillage. And that's, I think, what puts off a lot of people because of you know the numbers and the competition that you'll face. Mm. So I would say mentally prepare yourself for that. And don't let those rejections knock your confidence in any way. It's such a buzzword, but resilience is so important in this career. Have you found that as well? Absolutely. And I would also say, you know, think about the people you surround yourselves with. I was very lucky to find some great friends through Grey's Inn, through the GDL, my friends, of course, who are already in the profession and indeed those outside too. But you really, I really have drawn on my support networks from my career change to the law, people that are there for you just to rant, people who understand because trying to explain pupillage to your parents, supportive <laughs> though they might be, is challenging. But people who really can understand and relate and proofread your applications and practice interviews with you are critical and also just to keeping you um, sane through the whole process because it is it is challenging and I really would stress it's not a truism this isn't being trite it's actually really important and I am very grateful that I, I met some fantastic people who were really there for me along the way and I think the final point we can talk about here is the self-starter point this really does come from you and I think what's been so rewarding for me about this is that I put a lot of work into it and you can see results at the end. Yeah. And so, yes, there are setbacks. Yes, there are challenges, but it's quite satisfying to see yourself come out the other side. And so I'd say, don't give up, keep going. And remember, people genuinely really want you to succeed. And I have, again, I've said this earlier in this chat we've had, but I've been really blown away by how collegiate and helpful this profession is and help is there if you seek it out. I couldn't echo your comments anymore, Charlotte. I think that brings the episode to such a lovely close and you've left the listeners hopefully with a lot to think about. Thank you so much for coming in to chat to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure is all mine, Neve. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Raising the Bar podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review. And for more information, check us out on Twitter at AGI Students.